We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. Pastor is correct in that we are turning again to the book of Jude, which is where we were the last few times. The book of Jude. I mean, when I first started, I said, well, if you can find the book of Revelation, you can't find the book of Jude. I was sitting back there and I was looking for Jude, and I said, okay, where is it? <laughs> I had gone past and I was in Revelation. I said, it's here somewhere. But that's really quite interesting because all of the content can be held on one sheet, you know, back and front. So it's easy to flip past it when you're looking for it. But the thing we want to be sure that we don't do is look past the message or the messages that are contained in it. Because what God has to say to us through this little book is very important. It was important to the first audience, and it is very important to this audience and to all other audiences until the Lord comes again. The material here is important, and we need to give serious thought to it. I'm going to begin this time by reading several verses, and then we'll review some of the things we talked about before, and we'll make some additional comments. In Jude chapter 1, it begins this way. It said, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, I was very diligent to write to you concerning the salvation, concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward, destroy those who did not believe. 
and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Verse 8, likewise also these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil, which he disputed, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing accusation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. And whatever they know naturally, like brutal beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11 says, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the era of Balaam and have perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of the darkness forever. And I will leave off the reading there. But you can see just from the things that are, are just read that this is serious business that Jude is talking about here. Very serious business. And as we pointed out before, he begins the book by identifying himself in two ways saying that he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And we try to emphasize how important that is 
that this is who this man was, that he was, first of all, declaring his identification with the one who is the Savior. That's the most important. And then his identification. He says here with James, his brother, who both of them being the half, as we say, brothers of the Lord Jesus himself. And so those things then help us to see that as to the messenger, we should be happy to listen to this one. Because this is a messenger who is qualified to give a, a good message. He's a person who is a good uh, candidate to handle a very delicate and, delicate and important message. And so we need not shy back because of who this messenger is. Now we know that in our normal discourse, we often will consider who the messenger is. And sometimes we don't listen to what the message is because of what, how we judge the messenger. And sometimes that can be, that can lead to real problems sometimes. Sometimes it can work out just fine because sometimes the false messenger, the messenger is a false messenger, bearing a bad message. But sometimes we may have a misjudgment as to what it is that this messenger is bringing at this time. This messenger, Jude, is bringing a good message and he's a good messenger. And then he says to those who are called, so he identifies the audience, his primary audience, by these terms, he said, these people, you're sanctified, called, sanctified, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And so not only did he begin by establishing his connection to Christ, the Savior, but he says that you also, to whom I'm speaking, you have likewise that connection to, to him. And so we are together in this. We have that connection. All those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ have that connection to him. And that's the most important thing that we can have in this life, our connection to him. And then he says this greeting, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. May it be your portion abundantly in excess, if there could be such a thing as that. But he says, mercy, peace, and love. What a wonderful thing it is to be the recipient of these mercy. The Lord have mercy on me. Love. He loves me. Peace. Now the peace of God surpasses all understanding for those who are abiding in him. And then in verse 3, as if he hadn't already said enough, he says, beloved or beloved. He said, not only do we have this like connection, but I have a special connection to you. And by saying beloved, clearly they to him as well, 
a special connection. And then he says to them what he wanted first to do, what he wanted to write about. He used the word, our common salvation. That's what he wanted to write about. And as we said before, that was a good thing to want to do, to write about that. It was a good subject. It would have been, I'm sure, very edifying, both for them and for us. But he identified himself as a bond servant. And a faithful bond servant may have honorable and good things they want to do, but they are a bond servant. And so what do they do? They do what the one to whom they are a bond servant wants them to do. And that's what Jude was doing. He, Jude says, I had a desire, and it's all good, but being a bond servant of Christ, he didn't get to do what he first desired to do. But he said, I found it necessary. We are saying that he was moved by the Holy Spirit of God to write something different than what he had in mind. Why? Because it was more important for this moment and this time. That's why. And so what was it? To write to you, exhorting you, to contend earnestly for the faith, the faith which was once delivered, or once for all delivered to the saints. And so this whole matter of what the faith, the content of it, and all of that, that was a settled question, if you want to put it that way. It was already settled. It was what it was. And he's saying to them, now you need to contend. That means not just sit idly by as the days go by, but to contend as in a battle, as in a struggle, as in putting in effort, as in putting in work, something they need to do, something they need to be intentional about, conscious about, conscientious about. He said, you need to contend for that faith. It was delivered once and for all to the saints. But that's not sufficient, that's not enough. He says, as long as we're here, you have to keep pressing on. Like the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark for the calling of the high calling of God. He said, I'm pressing on forward. Not that I have attained, but I press forward. This is what he's saying to them, you have to contend. Why? So he's getting them now in a frame of mind to think about what he has to say. And I think he's, he, he's done a, an excellent job to, to put them in a frame of mind to hear because he says who they are. He says who the Lord is, his, what their connection is to him, his connection is to him, their connection between each other. And now he says, this is what I have to write about. Number, verse number four, certain men. I have to write about certain men. Certain men. But it's astonishing to think of all the terms that are used with reference to these certain men. 
Listen to what it says here again in verse 4. Certain men have crept in unnoticed. And so the idea that they have secretly sneaked in gets the attention. It's all. What are they doing in among us? When did they come in? What are they doing here? I told you I've been reading about some of the World War II and Cold War things and the spies and the moles and all that and how all of the there was just so much that was going on that a lot of people in authority just couldn't believe it that they were actually among them in high places of high positions people who were doing the bidding of the enemy but thanks be to God that Certain ones recognized what was happening and took vital action. They contended, not for the faith, as we are doing, talking about here, but they contended for the survival, <laughs> we might say, of the Western world. They did. He said to these people, you need to contend because the, the stakes are that vital, vital. Loss here will be the detriment would be beyond what we could even imagine if you don't contend, is what he's saying to them. So contend, he said. These men have crept in, verse 4. Long ago, they were marked out for this condemnation. And then he talks about them being ungodly. Ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. So what are they doing in among them? It's one thing if the ungodly come in among, but they sit quietly by and listen and evaluate for themselves what it is they're hearing without any effort to inject their own ideas and their own teaching. And that can be a wonderful thing. That's what all the evangelistic crusades were all about, to get all kinds of people, any kind of people, all people, just to come in and listen, hear. But thus said the Lord, not to invite them to the podium to give their own messages, but to open invitation, listen. But these ones, ungodly men, they turn the grace of God into lewdness. They deny the Lord our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the character of these certain men. But they're in among them, and they have come in unnoticed. And they're just carrying on as everybody else is doing in terms of the outward formal things they're doing. They're just one of the, just one of the crowd. But they are, they are from a different source, and they have a different destination. And if you don't do something about what's going on, if you don't recognize the problem, it's going to cause big-time trouble. And so he says here, but I want to remind you. So he said, now, you know certain things. You've learned certain things. You know certain historical facts. And I'm reminding you of those in verse 5. I want to remind you. Though you once knew this, that the Lord 
having saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And so this is showing how God has his own agenda, his own program, his own, his own things to accomplish, his purposes. So he saved all of those people out of Egypt. They, were, they received physical salvation from the tyranny of Egyptian bondage. They needed something more than that, though, because they said afterward, those who did not believe, he destroyed. So having been saved from the physical calamity that was happening to them was not all they needed. That was a good thing. I'm sure they rejoiced in it. But some of them said, I'm good now. I don't need that God that Moses said he's serving. I don't need them. Does it sound like our contemporary, our contemporaries, or to some extent ourselves? But that's the nature of it. But God, being God, he's a just God. And he's a sovereign God. And he never fails in his purposes. The judgment of God is real. You know, for us, the scripture says that as for man, and we know that's a generic term for humans, but as for us, it is appointed unto us once to die and following death, judgment. So judgment is sure. It's not a question of will there be judgment individually for us and for nations. The issue is not will there be. The issue is for us, humans, what judgment? What would be the nature of the judgment? Now I know I'm diverting from the path, but you know we've said it many times, you heard it many times here, that as for the people of the world, they're going to one judgment or the other of two. One is called the great white throne judgment, and the other one called the judgment seat of Christ, or sometimes called the bema seat of Christ. And every person will go to one of those. Those who go to the bema seat, when the judgment is finished, then they will go and to be with the Lord forever. Because that judgment is not to find out if they are going to be with him. That's already been settled before their death came. But for the others, when the judgment is finished, the pronouncement will be, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, into everlasting damnation. He says, about some of those ones who are saying, Lord, Lord, and all that, he will say, I never knew you. I, I never did know you, and I don't now, and you have to depart into everlasting damnation, destruction. Now, those are words that some people can't tolerate to hear. It just comes across as too harsh. They said, that can't be. It can't be. They said, well, a loving God can't do that. 
But you see what they've done. The God that they're speaking about is a God of their own creation. And the God of their own creation couldn't do that. But the problem is, the God of their own creation is not the real God. And the real God said, this is the way that I do things. And there's none who can dispute successfully the Lord's program. Now, in verse 6, and we talked a little bit about that. In verse 6, it says, that the, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he reserved in everlasting chains under darkness. And we talked about that, and we talked about how some people link that to Genesis 6, where it talks about sons of of the sons of God, seeing the daughters of men, and they were beautiful, and they took of them all that they desired for wives, and, and they multiplied and all that. And I told you that I don't buy the view that those were angels. I think those are separate incidents. Peter, in Second Peter, does talk about these angels, and I think Peter and Jude are talking about the same thing, the same... Uh, Angels who left their domain. And so I don't want to go too far into that. Again, uh, we spent some time there. I made a lot of notes about it, but I, I'm, go I'm going to, uh, I'm not going to give you what I put in all these different notes I've worked on since I looked at that the last time. I might come in on that a little bit again at some point. But in any case, the angels left their own domain. God set for them the place where they were to be, and they left. Which means that there was some volition. Now, all of these judgments, they are connected with a volition. Volition just means an ability to choose, to make a choice. And then as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in verse 7, in a similar manner to, to these, now, in a similar manner to these, so some use this. It says, now, the people at Sodom and Gomorrah, here's what their failings were, as stated here. They gave themselves over to sexual immorality, and it says they have gone after strange flesh and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So all the immorality of the angels here, some people will say, well, when it says there, in a similar manner to these, they use that to connect back to Genesis 6, but I don't buy that. And I guess I will make a quick little note about Genesis 6, and I said it before, that when you read through there, and it talks about the wickedness of man on the earth, it talks about the sons of God procreating with these beautiful women and having all they wanted for wives. But then all of the rest of the references, all the way down to the judgment, talks about Man's failure, man's failure, man's failure, all flesh. It doesn't talk about sons of God anymore. And so the judgment that's coming, it says it's because man, 
his thoughts are only wicked continually. To me, that's really quite conclusive. We also know that, you know, in uh, my brother Ben pointed out last week, I didn't include it in my notes last week, that uh, the scripture talks about how angels, in Matthew 22, 30, it says, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. <clears throat> so the idea is that angels in heaven don't procreate. But then some people will try to get around that, and they say, well, but, you know, they couldn't procreate while they were in heaven, but after they disobeyed and left the domain, then they were able to procreate after that. <laughs> well, that's to me, it's, it's too far attenuated. <clears throat> I said I wasn't going to get too much into that. Here I am. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> but it's serious business, and we need to look at it carefully. So you have to look at those and decide how you understand it. But... Uh, in Mark eleven twenty five, for they, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And so we can look at those things and, and, and give the proper understanding to those as they are. But when it says, <clears throat> likewise, or the similarity or the connection to me it is that we can think about it like this. <clears throat> look at the different categories and the things that are depicted here. And that God was superintending all of it. And so then when we see here, it talks about there, about people being delivered out of Egypt. But God was looking at what their conduct and looking on their hearts to see what they were. So they had to come to judgment because of what they were. Their behaviors followed what they were. These angels that are referred to here, even angels, don't get a pass from God. So the disobedient angels also come under the condemnation of God. That's the similarity. And the people who defile themselves in a moral behavior, they too come to the same kind of judgment. So there's, there's no way to find a, a, an avenue of escape. There is none. All come under the, all see an eye of God. And either there's measuring up or there's not. And God knows all about it. So we can try to fool him, but that's a fool's error. The problem is, that we must be careful to not fool ourselves. <laughs> and I'm saying that in a generic sense, you know, believer, unbeliever, to not get caught up in self-deceit and then we get derailed or side-railed or off the track for some time or whatever because we became victims of deceit. Now, in verse number eight, it says, likewise these, what does it say, dreamers, what do they do? They defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Dreamers. Now, the word dreamers there, I think it's quite an interesting thing. Because it says here that they do these things. But why would they do these? 
the idea, I think, or at least that I found in some places, is the notion that the authority of these people comes from what they have dreamed. It comes from themselves, their authority, not from God. Not from God is what Judah said, but from themselves. They have a, what they call this authority. There's more about that, I'm gonna to get to some more of that. But the great contrast that we see here is that these ones, these certain men, or these ones who are called dreamers, it says in verse 9, yet Michael the archangel. So now compare these certain men, these dreamers, to Michael the archangel. Which one should be uh, thought of in, in the highest, best terms? Well, Michael the Archangel is so far in a different realm altogether than these dreamers. And yet he, it says here, he contended with the devil. Now, the devil is a powerful being. But Michael the Archangel is also a powerful being. Both Michael the Archangel and the devil are creative beings. He contended with the devil. When he disputed about the body of Moses, it's in verse 9. But it says here that he dared not bring a reviling accusation. But he said, the Lord rebuke you. So what's that all about? It says these, these dreamers they defile the flesh, they reject authority, they speak evil of dignitaries. But Michael the Archangel wouldn't even bring a, a reviling, a blasphemous accusation against the devil. Now, I've said this before, but you know, I've been around a, a lot of people who have used words in reference to the devil that was slander, the devil as it were, slanderous words, call them all kinds of names. And they see, seem to say, well, they have warrant for that. And so to one such person once I said, but what do you think about Jude, verse 9 here, and Michael the archangel? And on consideration of that, I, I never heard that person say that, go that way anymore. Because I think this is a good thing here. It said, he says, the Lord rebuke you. So we have to remember that, it, that it's the Lord, not us, that we don't become so sanctified and so holy that we can just step out there and, you know, put that devil in his place in our own little might because we are so spiritual now. But that seems to be the attitude that some people have. Now, I say it seemed to be because I don't know the hearts of the people. I think a lot of the people who do that are just as, as sincere as anybody else in terms of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't doubt that. But I think we should be guided by what the scriptures actually teach us through some of these verses here. Now, verse 10, it says, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Wow, that's something. And whatever they do know naturally, like brute beasts, in these they corrupt 
themselves. As talked about volition, they corrupt themselves. And so when they stand in judgment, there won't be anyone to point the finger to unless they look at it in the mirror and they point the finger because it says they corrupt themselves. They find themselves in the position they're in because of the choices that they made. And I'm going to stop pretty quickly, closely here. I thought I was going to talk about some more of these things, but here we are. But it said they corrupt themselves. One of the things that comes back to my mind, you, you, many of you know that I, I spent many decades, many decades, several decades, over three decades working with, with criminal offenders. And when I worked inside the prison, I had an opportunity to talk with a lot of men, and women too, because I taught women and men in, in various prison facilities. And one of the things about their being where they were is that they themselves had made certain choices. They had done certain things. And so the judgment that came to them was one of the consequences of the choices that they had made. Now, some of them argue that perhaps their sentence was too long and they maybe were correct about that. And some of them, but you know, I really don't remember very many people telling me that they really actually didn't do the thing. I can't, I don't know, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who, who actually made that argument with me. I mean, I was talking with one fellow who had, he had killed somebody, he was trying to rob this store down here in Wayne County. And the man tried to defend himself and so he ended up, you know, killing the man. They wrestled over a girl. He said, well, it was going to be his life or mine, you know? And I said, and that's exactly the kind of offense that the Bible says is deserving of one response from the government. Of course, when I told him that and making that argument, I didn't know that his circumstance that I was speaking about him specifically, what his sentence justly should have been, or would have been, but anyway. But anyway, so these ones, they're coming to a judgment far worse than any person down there at the prison. And it's permanent. So it's worthy to be thought about. And so for folks who listen to things like what I just said, and just blow it off. That's not wise. People don't dispute that they're going to come to the end of this life. They don't dispute that. They don't like it, many of them. They try to do whatever they can to extend their lives. Somebody's put out something about scientists having discovered some way to keep people living for 200 years. 
But even if they live 200 years, then what? The Bible says after you get the 200 done, then you will face judgment. And so extended life, I remember Pastor Sachs one time saying something about how people can be stirring up wrath for the day of wrath. That's from scripture. Stirring up wrath against the day of wrath. And sometimes these extended periods is just adding on more. So anyway, that's for today. I do really appreciate you folks listening carefully to the word. But it's not my voice that's important. It's just that we need to be looking at what God says and consider it so that whatever that I've said that's not lining up properly, just discard it. You see, the Bereans were the kind of people who would be able to, to evaluate properly what I just said over the last 40 minutes or whatever it was. Because it said they examined the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. We need to be those, those kinds of people. But if we're never taking the time to open it up and look in there and see what it is, there'll be things that are, we, we, we will even miss a low-hanging fruit, I'll put it that way. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you because you have given to us a privilege today to be gathered here in this place, a quiet place where we can consider the word of the Lord. So we ask you to imply it to our hearts and move us uh, to want the things that are right in the sight of the Lord. We pray in the name of Christ the Savior with thanksgiving. Amen.